Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, if you can see me a little bit better this week, it's because I found out that they shortened the podium. <laughs> Turns out I'm, I'm a little more vertically challenged than, uh, than those who faithfully served before me. Uh, would, would you pray just a short prayer with me? Father, thank you that we are not what we once were. Thank you for not leaving us where we are. And thank you that you've promised great things for who we will be. Work in mighty ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians is in uh, the New Testament. Uh, flip past the Gospels, past Romans, Acts, First and Second Corinthians. If, if you're in Colossians, Philippians, you've gone too far. Go back a little bit. And if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, uh, we have some in the lobby for you as you came in. Feel free to take one. That's a gift uh, from Lakewood Church. So we begin a sermon series in Galatians asking, is Jesus enough? I mean, for real. That might seem like a strange question to ask on a Sunday morning, especially in a church. Everyone in this room might declare, yeah, of course, of course Jesus is enough. However, we are very much like these believers in these churches scattered throughout the region of Galatia in Paul's day. You see, the normal course of our Christian life often leads us to live as if He's not enough. And to be honest with you, I need this reminder as I've had passing moments this week where in my mind, Jesus wasn't enough. And quite frankly, there are, there's very likely many in this room or even people who are watching with us online who are considering Christianity who would simply say, Jesus can't be enough faith alone? There must be something more I must do, not just to be saved, but there must be more that I need to do to please God, even in a potential Christian life. So we'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 today, and our sermon is entitled, Not Just Heaven, But Today. Not just heaven, but today. The central truth I want us to come away with and cling to. Again, we're not here just collecting information. But really, what I want us to cling to this morning as we leave is this. The good news of Jesus makes a difference today. Not just someday. This is a critical truth to believe. If you think the gospel just seals you for heaven only, you might not care much about being a faithful follower of Christ. You might say something like, well, I'm good with God. I'll just live however I want. Or if you think the gospel is just for heaven, you might fall on the other extreme and think that this Christian life, it's all about your good work and your effort. Oh, I just got to work harder. I just got to please him. These are the ditches 
on both sides that the Galatian churches were falling into. And if we're honest, we fall into them sometimes too. So there are two key elements in our passage that demonstrate that Jesus is enough. And the gospel, my friends, the gospel makes a difference today. The first uh, that I would have us consider is this idea of mutual calling. A mutual calling. Read with me, please, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Now, the beginnings of New Testament letters are often easy just to jump right past and get to the good stuff. Many of the books of the New Testament are what we call epistles. They're letters with a sender and a recipient. Recipient, You know, we do that today, right? My kids uh, have pen pals, and sometimes on the kitchen table, I'll see a letter that says, From Kate to Addie. I have no idea what they write about, but they write. And here in our letter, it's from Paul to the churches of this region of Galatia. That's modern day Turkey, where Paul and Barnabas, they planted these churches on their first missionary journey. However, unlike our letters today that simply say from and to, These letters, Paul's letters, these initial greetings had significance. And they often laid out the foundation for the rest of the letter. So there's two callings here in our greeting that I want us to consider. The first is Paul. Now, you know this about Paul. Paul is a very normal pattern in most of his letters. He introduces himself. He lays out his qualifications. He says, what's up to his readers? And then he points them to Jesus. Every single letter he does this. Well, look again at verse 1, his qualifications. Paul, qualification, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, if you go through and you look at the language of Paul's qualifications, he's an apostle, he's a spokesman for God. Here's how he puts it in other letters. He may say something like, I'm called to be an apostle. He says that in Romans. Or he might say, I am an apostle by the will of God. He says that in both the Corinthian letters, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Timothy. Or he might say, I am an apostle by the command of God. He says that in 1 Timothy and Titus. But did you notice in our passage there's a word added that you won't find in any of the other letters? It's the word not. Paul communicates his calling just like every other letter, but in the negative. Not from men nor through man. And as we continue our series in Galatians, we'll see more and more why this is the case. That one word, not, is pregnant with a lot of context that will come out in the following chapters. So it seems, it seems it may have been something like this national, ethnic, or even just cultural-leaning Jewish Christians. Well, they had issues with Paul. 
issues about his teaching about Jesus, in fact. They said his teaching wasn't nuanced enough. They said Paul's teaching about the gospel was too simple. Or rather, even it had large, in their mind, it had large theological holes, especially when it came to the Old Testament. So these concerned Christians did what many do today. They had long, threaded Twitter rants. They had Facebook memes with Paul's face on it. And they had private conversations with others in the community, dismissing Paul's calling from God. You see, instead of interacting with his argument and with his biblical evidence, they maligned his character and his calling. And let me just say here, if you have to resort to maligning someone's character, instead of wrestling with the opposing details of their argument, you have a heart problem. Now, commentators would call these concerned Christians, these Christians on Twitter and Facebook, and he called these Christians, commentators would call them Judaizers. And they weren't simply challenging Paul. They were adding their own theological and cultural bent to the gospel that he preached and proclaimed. So Paul, he starts his letter off saying, not, not. My authority, my gospel, my calling is not from men nor through man, but rather the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He would say, my message of Jesus is enough because it comes from God himself. It's not some man-made message. Now, Paul's calling actually has significant implication on your life right now, today, and tomorrow. You know tomorrow's Monday, right? It, ha- it happens every week. And Paul's calling a significant implication on your life. Here's why. We come here this morning as we worship, and we're sitting under God's Word, and we may ask, I mean, if we're honest, does any of this, what I read, what I hear, does any of it really matter? Is God in his word, is it true? Well, okay, maybe it was true at one time, but is it still relevant for me today? Hmm. Paul's going to say a bunch of stuff about Jesus in this book, in this chapter. Should I believe what he says? If Paul is not called, we have no reason to listen to him. We are faithful followers of Christ and Christ's word. We're not interested in following a man-made message or man-made categories and philosophies and ideas. We want Christ. So when Paul comes and he says, not, not, not of man, not of my own ideas. I didn't, I didn't learn this in some school, but it's actually from God. Well, that should perk our ears up. We have reason to listen. There might be a word for us here. But it's not just Paul. Notice it's also the churches of Galatia. Paul, he's quick to let his readers know that, yeah, okay, he's called, he's an apostle, he's a big shot. But so are the recipients. 
the body of Christ that he's communicating with. And you see this in Paul's letters. Oftentimes, he'll even say plainly to the churches that he's writing to, you are called, says it in Romans, 1 Corinthians. Even say in Ephesians, you are chosen. He puts the emphasis not just on his own calling, but the churches. Even the word itself, church, it carries with it the idea of being called. Now, the word is used over, I think it's like 114 times in the New Testament. And it has the idea, this word church, it has the idea of of not just assembly and gathering, but a called out people. That's what the church means. You know that the church isn't a building, but the church is a gathering in an assembly of people who've been called out, a called out one. And this, my friends, is the good news of Jesus. People are called out of the darkness of domain, and they're called into light. By God's grace, we are called out of callous, rebellious, broken hearts and into, called into forgiveness, peace, and restoration. We are called out of living for ourselves and living for Jesus. When Paul says to the churches of Galatia, he's reminding these people of their identity, who they are. They're the body of Christ. So here's how this plays out in our daily lives. If we affirm what Paul is saying about the body of Christ, that they're a church, that they've been called out, set apart, it recalibrates our thoughts and actions tomorrow. It answers the question, what is my identity? And that's the question of our day, isn't it? What tribe am I a part of? What's my identity? Ultimately, where is that identity found? So we'll consider more of these in a moment. But as a believer, in Christ, called out, set apart, this week, you'll stand over the kitchen sink. And I don't know how. There's, there's never-ending supply of dishes. And you'll stand there with wash-wrinkled hands. Who are you in that moment? You're in Christ. You're in Christ. As you turn on your news feed online or TV this week and you hear this outlet's take on current events, who are you? Where's your identity? You're in Christ. As you find yourself wrestling with sexual desires, bents, or even temptations, who are you in the midst of your temptation? You're in Christ. When someone speaks poorly of you or makes you feel like an outsider this week, what's your identity? You're a called out one. You're in Christ. You're in Jesus. Faithful followers of Christ are constantly heeding Paul's words and remembering who they are in Jesus. Jesus is enough because in him, hear this, in, he's enough. 
in him we are children of God, fellow heirs of the promises of God. In him, you called out one. You are redeemed and forgiven. You are the church, the called out ones for Jesus' name. Paul's not simply addressing a letter here. He's making a declaration of theological truth, a confession of calling. My friends, who is Lakewood? This isn't a club. I don't think there are any golf memberships here. No, this is a church. This is, this is a body of called out ones. So our mutual calling in the Lord, it confirms that Jesus is still at work today. God is still calling ones out of darkness. He's still redeeming. Here we are. You know, some of you, you're on TV and you're online too much. And just so you know, that's not the real world. And some of us, we tend to have a very negative view of the prospect of the future of the church. Do you know that none of you are supposed to be here? Didn't you get the memo? Christianity's dying. Didn't, didn't, didn't you get the memo? Uh, the memo? That, that's antiquated. That's outdated. No one believes in Jesus. The evidence of the fruit of God's calling his calling out, he's still working, is that there are people here still worshiping and clinging to Jesus. He's still at work. But we don't simply see calling in this passage. There's also this idea of deliverance. Deliverance. Read verses 3 through 5 with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are remarkable verses that demonstrate that the good news of Jesus is not just for heaven. It's not. And heaven sounds great. I can't wait. But it's also for today. Look carefully at a couple of phrases here. The first one in verse 4. To deliver us from the present evil age. Hmm. So Paul not of his own authority, but by God's calling, reminds these called out ones, these churches, that Jesus died for them. Not just for a someday heaven, but a today reality. Many outside of Christianity, just so you know, find this verse shocking. And some of you do too. And you know why you do? It's because the death and the resurrection of Jesus is often talked about in Hallmark movies and country songs as, and I don't, I can't, I don't listen to most of your country, so I, I, I can't get there with you. But if you watch a Hallmark movie or you accidentally listen to a country song, what you'll often hear about is they talk about, you know, God and the big guy upstairs. They'll talk about something like this. 
Well, the gospel or this Jesus character really is just deliverance from punishment, from hell or for Satan. It's, it's the punch a ticket to those streets of gold. And those things are true, of course, but it's an incomplete picture of the gospel. Paul, however, is going to spend an entire letter in Galatians arguing against that very narrow view of Jesus' gospel. So, what is the present evil age? What is that? I'm going to tell you. Do you know what's evil about this age? Thinking I have to please God by my works. That's evil. And that's largely what Paul is writing against here in this letter. See, these outsiders argued that our right standing with God was faith plus you better have a lot of good works if you want God's favor on your life. You know what else is evil about this present age? Well, I got more. What's evil is my lack of faith with exploding diapers, crazy toddlers, and moody teenagers. You know what's evil about this age? Sickness and disease. Anxiety over a changing world. You know what's evil about this age? Marital conflict over how pasta should be cooked. You know what's evil about this age? My present personal sin, which is maybe tied to the pasta conflict dissatisfaction with how God has made us or the life that he's given us, that's evil. The private thoughts we have that we'd be embarrassed to share. This broken world full of broken people is the evil age. Here's how one commentator would explain it. Chaos, suffering, and oppression characterize the present age because it's in rebellion against its creator. Oh, but in, in his mercy, however, God will usher in the age to come, the time of the new creation. Take heart, Christian. In Christ, God has brought good news, a Savior, a Rescuer, a Redeemer, a present help, he died to meet you in the midst of and to deliver you from evil. Jesus has come to meet you in this present age as you look forward and strain towards the next. He died to deliver you from the present evil that you may face this week. But there's another phrase, not just this pre present evil age, Look again at verse 4. It says, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So the second phrase is this idea of the will of God and our, of God our Father. Now the will of God isn't simply, uh, simply something like the document that some of you have left behind when you die, a will. But rather, it's a biblical phrase that signifies God's plan decree, and purpose. 
It's simply what God has planned and or allowed to happen. So whether it's how we look, the family we grow up in, or a missed field goal in 1998, God has a purpose, a plan, and a will for our lives, big and small. But there's two aspects of this will uh, this morning I, I really want us to just touch on briefly, and they're connected. It's this idea of our present current circumstances and the death of Jesus. They're intertwined and full of purpose in the mysterious will and plan of God. So here's a verse you'll find on a pillow somewhere. Romans 8.28 We know for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, really? Yes. Yes. But, but we have questions, don't we? That is certainly true. But in the midst of God working all things, we're still left with questions. And I will say this, Romans 8.20, that can be a really cruel verse and a platitude to throw at someone in the midst of their suffering. Oftentimes, even truth must be brought after weeping and mourning with someone. So it leaves us with this question. What is the purpose of my current circumstance? I mean, like what I'm going through right now. What's the purpose of it? Why is it that God would allow suffering, hurt, experience of fracturing relationships and unmet expectations? Why would God make you look and talk the way that you do? Why would God allow you to struggle with a terrible circumstance or a sin that you just can't shake? Well, if we're honest, this is a question we all struggle with. I always think of Moses. Moses in, in Exodus 5. He had that question, why? God calls him to lead Israel out of the promised land, and he gets there, and he shows up, and he's telling everyone what's going to happen. He talks to Pharaoh, doesn't go well. In fact, the people of Israel, they're, they're swearing at him. They, they want judgment to fall upon him because it's, he's made it worse for them. And Moses' question in the midst of that trial, that circumstance, and that suffering of himself and the people that he cared about, he said, God, why? Why, God? Why did you even send me? And if we're honest, oftentimes we're asking that question ourselves. God, why? Why this? Why right now? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Let me paraphrase how one pastor answered this question. I can't pretend to know why God has allowed suffering in your life. I don't know all the reasons for the present evil that you face. But I do know what the answer is not. The answer is not that he's allowed these things because he doesn't care. He cares so much that it was his will, his plan, and his mysterious purpose for Jesus to die on a cross to deliver you from what you are going through right now. Not just a someday heaven, but to deliver us from the present evil age. 
Bad deliverance may not mean immediate relief from the present evil. It may not even mean avoidance of terrible situations. But what does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus died to deliver me from the present evil age? Well, I can take this to the bank. It means that he will be with us. And we look forward to the final day of ultimate deliverance. As Bunyan said, the celestial city, heaven. So here's how this might look in your week and my week uh, as, as we encounter tomorrow. Don't you just hate Mondays? Oh, here, here it comes. This week, you're pulling out what remaining hair you have left in this season because, because kids. I don't need to say anymore. Kids. You're struggling to trust God in this season of parenting. He died to deliver you from that struggle and that lack of trust. Perhaps he delivers you through a timely word in your devotions this week. Well, how about this? Maybe some of you, some of you young people, especially as you go off to school, you have a strong bent to be liked by your friends. So you compromise where you know you shouldn't. And in your honest moments, you question whether or not God is even real. You know, verse 4 says that Jesus died to deliver you from that. So perhaps he delivers you by the conviction of the Holy Spirit this week. Or maybe this is you. You've worked very, very hard to get where you are. So the thought of being generous or sacrificial with your time, your money, you just realize there's some greed in your heart. Do you know verse 4 says that Jesus died to deliver you from your greed? Maybe he delivers you, you this week as you're aware of a need in the body and you can meet it. Or maybe some of us were physically tired this week and God seems far off. And putting effort in today, in this week, well, I, I just, I, it seems like a waste of time. Do you know that verse 4 says that Jesus died to deliver you from even your fatigue? Maybe he delivers you this week, and one morning you wake up with a lightness of foot. Some of you are experiencing nearly, nearly unbearable suffering and heartache, and you question God's goodness and his power. Do you know verse 4 says that Jesus died to deliver you from that? Perhaps he delivers you through using your suffering to encourage another suffering saint. Can I just confess that this has been a really helpful reminder for me this week as I struggle with my own personal sin. I've been a little bit of a grouch, a little irritable. And uh, yeah, some of it involves I want things the way I want. Some of it just involves 210. I mean, we've got to do something about that road. But there, there's been things in my life this week where, where I've been irritable and frustrated and I want it my way. I want comfort and ease. And when 8.30 hits, I want it to be dead quiet with a cup of tea in my hand and my lady by my side. That's it. 
And as I've gone this week, as I've been tempted to look at, to think, or to say things that I know I shouldn't, I'm honestly, I've been going back to verse 4. Oh, Jesus, in this moment, I need you. You died to deliver me from the present evil age of irritability, frustration, and 2.10. Brothers and sisters, take that this week. Take that. Put verse 4 in your pocket. Whatever you meet this week, whatever you meet, Jesus died to save me from this present evil age. No matter where you find yourself, God is not surprised. He's not alarmed and he is not thwarted. Jesus gave himself. He gave himself freely to deliver you from doubt and fear, sin, the attacks of the enemy, circumstance, the evil age. I love how verse 5 ends. I want to read verse 4 again. I like it too much. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Do you know what puts God on display? Do you know what glorifies him? You and I, in our messed up Christian lives, striving to cling and hold on to Jesus, and then when we go out into the real world tomorrow, we simply say, Jesus, you died to deliver me from this. I need you. Oh, that puts God on display. And you can bet that you're reminding of yourself that you're a called out one. I'm in Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. He died to meet me for today. That glorifies him, certainly in your personal life, but it makes an impact to a community. Do you know that you're related to people who need to know that Jesus isn't simply a ticket to heaven, but it matters here and now? Do you know that you have neighbors? Yeah, those annoying ones. Do you know that they have a need to know that Jesus cares about what's going on in their life today? Aren't you grateful for the beauty and the glory of Jesus who meets us where we are? I can't wait for this week. It's going to be a mess. But I'm, I'm, I'm holding verse 4. He's met. He's met me. He's delivered me from this. Faithful followers of Christ believe that Jesus is enough. Today and through eternity. Pray with me. Father, we come to you. We come to you in this name, in Jesus' name. We confess what we read in these initial verses. 
Father, that we are the called out ones. We are your church, the body of Christ. When we placed our faith in you, when we chosen, we clung to you in faith that first time. Lord, you sealed us, not just for heaven, but an ongoing relationship. An ongoing deliverance day by day. God, would you help our weak knees, our weary hearts? Would you help us to cling to this truth as we meet a broken world this week? And as Paul said, may all the glory be assigned to your name forever and ever. Amen.